Our reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is God's word. Well, this is not an endorsement of, of Starbucks, I promise. This is not product placement, <clears throat> so you'll, you'll want to go there. Um, my wife's just very nice, and she got me a Starbucks because my throat is killing me. And so it's um, <clears throat> soothing, but it's actually full of the ambient tea from the back table there, which is pretty good, so cheaper than Starbucks. Um, Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, teach us this morning uh, from this rich young man. uh, Help us to see ourselves as we are and to see your son as you want us to see him and to find ourselves in him and then to be found seen through him as you see us. Um, We pray that you would open our eyes this morning uh, to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus talked a lot about money, a lot about money. Um, In fact, 16 of 38 parables speak on how uh, we are to deal with our money or or possessions, things we own. And in the Gospels, one out of ten verses deal with money. Um, Kind of funny, uh, you know, it's it's literally like a tithe of verses that deal with money. Um, 288 verses in the Gospels, I think it is. Um, So that means that Jesus talks about money more than he talks about prayer and sex. So it, it's, do you think it's important? Yes. Why is it so important to talk about money? Um, before I answer that, 
Martin Luther, uh, the reformer, and it was just Reformation Sunday last week, um, but Martin Luther, he, just, he, he once said this. He said, there are three types of conversions. <clears throat> he said, there's the conversion of the heart, there's the conversion of the mind, and what do you think the third one is? Yeah, ooh, somebody said purse. How did you know? The conversion of the purse, or yeah, we could translate it, the wallet, so that it hits our men, too. Um, <clears throat> he, it was, it, yeah. So, true. Uh, why is it important to talk about money, though? Uh, money tells us the truth about what we really love. And if you don't believe me, um, although one brother reminds me, uh, if, if you really want to know um, uh, the truth about what you really love, go look at your bank statement, right? Tell, it'll tell you uh, where you're spending your money for where your treasure is, right? There your heart will be also. Um, it's, it's a... Um, uh, an honest take on what we really value, what we consider worth um, uh, purchase. Uh, ours, of course, our funds tend to go to food. I love the fresh ingredients, you know. you got to have the good pizza. Uh, and so now I'm just making it at home uh, so I can get good pizza for a lower cost, but um, that's where our budget usually goes. <clears throat> so today we're, we're going to look at a story about power and, and wealth and, and how this can be a great obstacle standing in the way of following Jesus. And so we're looking at this story about the rich young ruler. Um, does this passage in the Bible trouble you at all? Do you find it a little bit unsettling as you're reading the story? I mean, I, I see some nods, so three or four people are honest right now. Any more nods than that? Yeah, it's troubling. Uh, this is a kind of scary passage to read. Um, living in uh, 21st century America, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Um, uh, so maybe after reading it, you're, you're wondering, is Jesus calling me to sell everything that I own and give it to the poor, right? I mean, that's a logical conclusion. So here's the story. We're going to get down to the bottom of this. <clears throat> here's the story, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the Gospels of of Matthew and Luke, they describe this man not just as being rich, which Mark captures and tells us, but also that he was was young and he was a synagogue ruler. And so that's why you'll find maybe in the the subheading you'll see a little title right before the passage, and it says, The Rich Young Ruler. Does that, your Bible say that, if you have it open? Some people? All right, well, mine, mine did. Mine, mine said that. So that's why it says that, if you're wondering. Um, Mark goes on, verse 18. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Okay, so some people really, I think in this, when we read, read, read that, uh, we might tend to get caught up on Jesus' statement, why do you call me good? Right, is Jesus denying his divinity now? Is he de- denying that he's good? Um, <clears throat> there's no reason to, to really question this. Uh, Jesus isn't saying he's not God, but he's posing this question to this man um, why would you walk up to a rabbi and call him good when you don't really know much about him? You don't know him. Um, it, it really puts in a question his own definition of what goodness is, right? Um, 
And does he realize if he wants to call Jesus good, that's fine, but that's a category reserved for God alone. So if you're going to call Jesus good, that means you're calling him God. Are you ready to say that? So it's really putting it, uh, turning the tables on, on this man. Okay, but notice the rest of the response. Uh, he says, you know the commandments. <clears throat> he says the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth commandments, which all have to do with uh, the second table of the law, usually is what people call it, which is uh, loving your neighbor, right? There's two great commandments, love God and love neighbor, right, as yourself. Um, and so he adds in the do not defraud, which that's not one of the Ten Commandments, right? Man, I went to Sunday school. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. It is an implication of the Tenth Commandment, though, which is thou shalt not covet. So that's kind of what Jesus is, is, is driving at. And then what's weird, though, is he ends, right? Um, he doesn't do five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten, basically. He does six, seven, eight, nine, ten, five. What's with the ordering there? Um, many commentators think he wants to emphasize something, and, and I think what he's emphasizing is the fifth commandment is the only one with a promise attached to it, right? That your days may be long in the land. So Jesus is, is beginning to answer this man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? Well, obey the commandments. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Uh, so the man responds to Jesus, uh, as, as most devout Jews would have. Verse 20, he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Um, it's true, no doubt, from his youth, like the Apostle Paul, right, as, as his own testimony bears witness, um, I was blameless before the law, faultless, is what Paul says of, of being a, a Pharisee, right, of following the law at least according to its letter. But did he really love others as himself? Um, what Jesus is about to do is he's about to identify what this man treasures most in this world. And this is, this is just like a, like a surgeon uh, getting ready to operate. Verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Uh, see, so, so now we know in this story, in Mark's gospel, we know that this man was wealthy. <clears throat> Mark holds off till now to tell us that he had great possessions. So now we know he's a rich man, right? That's the detail. And, and he wants us to really feel the force, the weight of that. <clears throat> um, and, and the word used in, in verse 22 for sorrowful, it can be translated in a number of ways. Um, some mention uh, a good translation would be grieving, uh, that he went away grieving. And, and they associate that with how Jesus was acting in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, he, he was uh, grieving for uh, when he was about to go to the cross. Um, others note that there's a bit of rage or, or anger um, in this, in this uh, feeling of sorrow. And whatever the case, right, the man, he walks away from Jesus. He turns. Uh, he's unable to embrace eternal life because he loves the world too much. Which kind of reminds us of another thing that Jesus said earlier. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses what? Soul. Right? It's, there's no profit there. 
Uh, the rich young man tells us the opposite message of Jesus. Jesus gave, gives up his own soul right, to, to save the world. He gives up his body and soul. This rich young man wants the whole world, but he forfeits his soul. Um, did anybody else notice how the disciples react? Did we pick up on that? Well, let's read about it really quick. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So how did they react? What are the words used? Amazed. Exceedingly astonished, right? So it's like they are shocked to the core. They are so surprised that, that this is how things would be. Now, if we didn't know much context, we might be thinking that um, <clears throat> we might expect, right, that, that their surprise here comes from the fact that rich people often get rich by taking advantage of whom? The poor, right? So through exploitation. Um, so they might have agreed, we're so glad, Jesus, you're giving him his comeuppance, right? You're giving him what he deserves. He doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. He's an evil crook. You know, he's been stealing from us poor peasants, you know, like that kind of mentality. And that's not the reaction, right? What do they say? If he can't be saved, then who can be saved, right? They're, they're surprised. And that's all because in, in their time period, right, um, in their culture and from reading the Old Testament in, in certain stories, they assume that if you had riches, if you had wealth, that you also had favor with God, that those two things went together. And so it meant that God favored you if you were wealthy. Hashtag blessed, right? As Joel would put it. <clears throat> um, Job's friends in the book of Job take this view as, as an example. Uh, they assume that Job was sinning, right? He had done some kind of sin, and that's why he lost all of his family and his possessions, right? He was guilty of some kind of judgment from God. And so how Jesus responds here tells us <clears throat> that it's much more complex, more complicated than this. The riches are not a sign of God's favor or his disfavor. And we might learn even from this text that having money is not wrong in itself, according to Jesus. Right, when he says, do not defraud, he asks the man if he's ever exploited the poor. Have you ever taken advantage of your, your employees? Have you ever um, done any uh, unjust business practices? And the man says what? All these I've kept, right? All these I've, I've, I've done. Uh, meaning I've, I've always acted justly, kindly, fairly with, with those that um, I've been over. And so having wealth is not inherently bad. However, having wealth, and this is Jesus' point, does make it more difficult to enter the kingdom of God and to follow Jesus. So let's look at this controversial statement Jesus just made. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Um, 
Gina and I went on a vacation with my parents recently uh, to the island of Maui. Um, it was a really neat place. And, uh, and we were exploring the shops in um, a little town called Lahaina along the coast. And we, um, we ran into a man named Captain Bob. And Captain Bob was um, enthusiastic and uh, he was an interesting man. He had quite a story of, of survival. Um, really, I mean, he had some weird infection that probably only Rob would understand in this room, um, which Rob's not here, but. Um, and he had some weird infection and survived it and, um, and ended up being converted and came to faith in Jesus and is now like a pretty solid evangelist for Christ and um, spends a lot of time uh, working with the homeless and pretty incredible guy. Um, but, but Bob, uh, Captain Bob, uh, he said, because uh, uh, he, was, he was wealthy in his former life before following Jesus, uh, he said that he would be the first uh, camel going through the eye of the needle, and he'd be leading a train of camels. That would be Captain Bob, and I, I believe it. I mean, he, is, he was that enthusiastic of a guy. Um, if anyone would be that, it would definitely be him. But in our, in our conversation, right, um, Captain Bob talked about the gate of Jerusalem, and there's this needle's eye, and um, a lot of uh, people can, can try to pick that up. According to history, though, there's no needle's gate in Jerusalem until the Middle Ages. So Jesus' reference is not an actual gate that you had to unload you know, your camel and try to squeeze your big, heavy camel in, you know, through this tiny gate. He's not trying to say that it's almost impossible, right? He's trying to say that it's literally impossible. <laughs> like, a camel's large, an eye of a needle is very tiny. <laughs> Try to fit this in this, it ain't working, right? That, that's it, it's, it's impossible, right? It's highlighting that, it's hyperbole. Um, don't take this to mean that I'm saying or that Jesus is saying that it's a sin to be rich. But he is saying that there's something so wrong with us as people, fallen, uh, fallen uh, sinners, that if we are to have wealth, it's impossible without God to be saved. This is because money has a strong hold on us. Um, there's a, a country song, and I just hate it to the core, because it, it used to come on the radio a lot more. Now, now not so much, because it's kind of older. Um, but it, it's like, money is the, I don't even remember how the tune goes, and I won't sing. Um, money is the root of all evil, right? And that's what it says. Money is the root of all evil. And I'm like, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil. Um, and that's because money itself doesn't corrupt. Um, but our love of it and what it can do for us, what it, the possibilities that it could have, right? What it promises us has a hold, has, has power over us. What's interesting about the rich young man is he came to Jesus aware that he was missing something. And he humbled himself enough to ask Jesus as this rabbi, what, what must I do? And Jesus says, one thing you lack, right? Yes, you have success, you have riches, you happen to be young, so you got a lot going for you, um, but you're still missing something. And isn't that the truth that's exposed with money? That it, it, it holds out something, but it doesn't deliver. You have all the money in the world, or all the wealth, or all the fame, or all the success, or all the beauty, and you can still feel empty. The rich young man, see, is a picture of that kind of success, worldly acclaim. Um, and he's a lot like Tom Brady. Sorry, Patriots fans. 
Um, but I'm just going to bring up Tom Brady real quick. Um, right, uh, Tom Brady plays for the New England Patriots. He was on 60 Minutes a few years ago, and he shared something that's really insightful. Uh, he poses this question, and it sounds a lot like this rich young ruler. So I'm going to read what he said. Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Side note, now he has four Super Bowl rings, okay? Remember, I'm a Rams fan, and that was shameful, right? We should have had that. So he should only have three. So I'm just going to imagine he has three. <clears throat> and we didn't lose earlier this year. Um, so why do I have uh, three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, it can't be all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. 27 and I have three Super Bowl rings? Sorry. What else is there for me? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football. I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. I find Brady's transparency enlightening, right? Um, here's a guy who, who has it all, and yet he feels empty. He lacks one thing. Like the rich young ruler, <clears throat> he's wondering, right, why riches and successes and status, why it has failed him, why it's failed to provide that em emotional and, and spiritual treasure that his heart ultimately longs for, right? He's not satisfied. Um, C.S. Lewis once put, uh, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find um, something other than God which will make him happy. I think that's accurate. And it, it really presses each of us to ask the same question, right, that's posed to the rich young ruler that Brady was asking of himself a few years ago. What do I lack? Am I satisfied? Have you reached all your goals like Brady did at 27? <clears throat> or like this rich young man did in his late 20s? Have, have you had worldly acclaim or success in your job or profession, fame in your circles? Maybe uh, you married the, the person of your dreams. Maybe you bought the house of your dreams. Maybe you've had your kid uh, as an honor roll student. Um, you know, you've had that sticker on your car for a really long time that you should probably take off. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You can keep it on if you want. Uh, I don't really care. But um, <clears throat> Have your achievements in life been enough to complete you and give you satisfaction? The satisfaction that your, your heart longs for. I think the most insightful thing we can get from this passage in Mark um, is that while it's true that some people think they won't ever be happy until I get the car, the, you know, the job, the girl, whatever, some people think that way, that it's not until I get this thing that I'll be happy. But I think we learn the opposite in this, in this story. It's that when we get those things that we actually long for, that's where the problem comes, right? That we lose our happiness by having these things given to us. And that way, wealth or success or fame or beauty no longer function as our possessions, but they begin to possess us. And so the rich young ruler begins to be ruled by his things, by his stuff, by his money. Um, I'll, I'll just share. I'll never forget as a young adult, um, 
I knew a, a pretty wealthy gentleman. Uh, he, he thrived in business. I mean, he was like selling lemonade when he was a kid. And he, I mean, he was making tons of profit off like lemonade. Like he knew how to work money and make money work for him. And so he had um, property in Tahoe and Hawaii and all kinds of condos and, you know, just like really successful guy. And I remember talking to him and I, I really looked up to him. Um, and so I was just like, wow, you know, you got the life, you know, you got the, the hot wife, the whole, you know, the, the pool, I mean, this massive pool and this big house and this is awesome, you know. And uh, I said, you know, what's, what's it like? And he said, well, it's really stressful. <laughs> he said, it's really hard. Um, he's like, the more you have, the more you can lose. And he said, the more you have, the more you have to manage and maintain. And he's like, and it's very wearisome. He was kind of like his confession in that moment. Um, and that, that really left an, an imprint on me as a young, young kid. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Harder, right? Not impossible because of the grace of God. Uh, we know in the Bible that there are uh, men like Nicodemus, right, the wealthy Jew who became a Christian. There's men like um, Joseph, uh, 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 prime minister of Egypt, they were rich, they still entered the kingdom. So this warning comes when we're like the rich young ruler, when we're basing our identity, right, our center, our core, on having wealth or status, that it possesses us, rather than viewing these things as possessions. So I ask the question, what kind of control does beauty or fame or power or popularity or health or romance, right? What, how does that affect you? What, what power does it exert over you? Um, let's finish exploring the implications of the rich young ruler for our lives today. He's a man who has everything going for him. Like Brady, young, rich, has it all. And like Brady, he senses there's got to be something else out there, something more. So Jesus tells him, so you know, there's one thing you lack. Here's what you need to do. Um, This is what you need to do differently if you want what you're seeking. Verse 21, go sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And that just crushes this guy. Because what he's saying is that if you want to have eternal life, then yes, of course, don't sin. Right? You shouldn't defraud. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't murder anybody. Uh, don't do bad things. Right? Don't do bad things. Uh, but if you just repent of doing the bad things, what does that make you? It just makes you a religious guy. You know, I'm, 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 I'm a good person, right? I'm, I'm pretty good. I don't do all that stuff. I don't do drugs or this or that, right? That kind of thing. It puts you in the, I'm a religious category. It does not, however, put you in the category of having a relationship with God. If you want life, you need to know God personally. And so that, that sense that there's got to be more out there, something more, that it won't go away. And that won't go away until you change the way that you relate to your success and your money, is what Jesus is telling this guy. And so it's not just the bad things in our lives that we have to repent of. It's also the good things in our lives 
that we have to change our posture to. It's possible this rich young man had obtained all his wealth without hurting anybody, but did he view others as worthy as himself, right? Did he sort of look down on others and say, and their work ethic, the reason I'm here is because I worked really hard for my money, you know? These guys, nah, they're not hardworking like me. Was that his mentality? Or in terms of his, his obedience, right, according to the law, did he think, look, God, look at all my achievements, right? Since I was young, right, I've obeyed your law, right? I've always looked out for my neighbor. And now you should give me life because of this. I think if we look closely at this rich young man's inner life, his interpersonal life, we find that he's trusting in his wealth and his success instead of God. So Jesus, he cuts to the core. Imagine living a life that's free of money. Could you do it knowing that in the end, you'd end up with me? That's what he's posing to this guy. And so when he calls this young man to give up his money, the man goes away sad because money for him was the center of his life. It was the core of his reality. It was his functional savior. Um, Or as, as Tim Keller puts it in a book, it was his counterfeit God. If he had all of his money taken from him, who would he be? Right? Well, he wouldn't be the rich young ruler, which he seemed to like being that guy. So he couldn't imagine life without that. And that begs the question to us, what's my functional savior? Right? What am I trusting in today? What am I looking to as a savior instead of God? Because Christians don't just repent for the bad things, but also the good things, God's good gifts that we have and how we might be misusing them. And so this rich young man, his greatest problem is that he does not see his own need for the grace of God in his life. I want to end with this, um, an observation. The only place in the whole Gospel of Mark where we're told that Jesus loved somebody Um, is right here in this story. Um, Verse 21, right? He saw this young man and he loved him. Why did he say that he loved, uh, why does the text say that he loved him? Um, I mean, Jesus, of course, right, um, especially how everybody tends to view Jesus, he's a loving guy, so of course he loves everybody. Right, he's lovely. Uh, but why does, it, why does it say he loved this particular man in this special way? Jesus loves this man because he can fully identify with him. The rich young man, if we put together this portrait of this guy, right, he was probably 27, 28 years old. Jesus was in his early 30s at this time, probably 31. And Jesus is also a rich man, rich young man. To become human, right, he left glory, he left wealth, he left power, he left love and joy and fellowship. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, though Jesus was rich, for our sake he became poor. In other words, Jesus is the true rich young ruler who's given away total wealth for you. 
total wealth so he could have you. Gave up everything to get you. And he's not just asking this rich young ruler, young man, to do anything he hasn't himself done already. Just like he's not calling you to do anything that he hasn't already done for you. And so if our attitude towards money or status or beauty or romance or success or power is ever going to change, right, we have to understand that Jesus is the true rich young ruler. When we see how he freely gives himself for us, we can become the kind of people who freely give ourselves, our time, our resources, our love to other people. Sadly for the rich young ruler, um, he moved away from Jesus, and Jesus moved away from him because money was too valuable to him. He refused the grace of God. But the disciples, right, uh, if we had kept reading past verse 27, Peter actually reminds Jesus, uh, it's, it's very cute, right, it's very Peter, He's like, hey, Jesus, um, don't forget about us, though. Like, we're the guys that we sold all of our stuff. Remember, we, like, got out of the boat to follow you. And Jesus is like, yeah, we know. <laughs> That's great, you know. Um, you're going to get 100 times, 100-fold uh, in this life, and you'll get persecution, too. But you'll end up with eternal life, so it's a, it's a great deal um, to be with me. Um, you'll get me. What or who do you want this morning? What, what is going to bring you satisfaction? What are you clinging to? What's your counterfeit God? What's your functional Savior? Look to Jesus, the one who loved you, the one who grieved for you as he was going to hang on the cross on Golgotha. Jesus is the one who gave himself for you. <clears throat>